Well, if you would tonight, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. And if you guys back there, if you would, I'm going to have you turn that monitor off there. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mark chapter 8 will be our, where our text is found tonight. We come tonight to the sixth of the six great summations of the Christian life. What I have tried to do in this series for January and February is give six examples of passages of Scripture that put the Christian life in a nutshell, that summarize the very heart, the very core of what it means to be a Christian. There are many commandments in the Bible, precious teachings, precepts, um, principles. And sometimes we can be overwhelmed by the vast or sheer number of them. And sometimes we find ourselves on the peripheral of the Christian life and forgetting what the heart of it is, focusing on the things that are of lesser importance. And so that has been the whole point of this series is to give six examples. There are more than six, but to give six examples of what it means to be a Christian. Six ways you could summarize the entire Christian life. And our text this evening is verses 34 through 37. But what I want to do is I want to read the larger context because it really plays into understanding what we're looking at tonight. So I want to read for you Mark chapter 8, starting with verse 31 and going through verse 38. It says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Well, our first point tonight is the meaning of the Messiah. Jesus teaches his disciples that the mission of the Messiah is going to be very different than what they've been taught by others. In, again, in verse 31, in the first part of verse 32, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. 
And he said this plainly. Now, as you may know, the Jewish understanding of the Messiah was very different than what Jesus brought to them. The Jewish understanding of Messiah is one of religious restoration and military conquest. They envisioned a Messiah who would come and conquer the Romans and set up a Jewish empire in which God's people would rule and reign. And we find this not only in scripture, but we find this in literature from that time period of history. And if you've ever watched any movies on the life of Christ or that time period, you really begin to get the feel that they were looking for a very different kind of Messiah. Oh, they were longing for the chosen one to come, but they wanted him to come immediately to be the king. So what Jesus tells the disciples here is shocking. More shocking than I think we can understand in our 21st century mindset of how it was understood at that time. But Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things. That in and of itself was radical. It was different. They hadn't heard of this, but this was the clear teaching of the Old Testament. This was the clear teaching of the prophets. This was Isaiah 53. This was Psalm 22, that when the Messiah comes, he would be a suffering Messiah. He will be rejected, rejected not only by the people, but by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, the very Jewish religious leaders who were set over to the people to morally protect them, the very religious leaders who were supposed to teach them the scriptures to be the scriptural authority of the day are the very ones who are going to reject him. And Jesus tells them this plainly. But then comes the real kicker. He says, and he will be killed. When the Messiah comes, they will kill him. This is astounding. But then he says, which had to bewilder them even more, and three days later he will rise again. And notice that Mark inserts this little phrase, and he said this plainly. It wasn't in cloak language. It wasn't mysterious. He said it very clearly and very plainly. And I want you to notice the must, the word must in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. It's actually an ongoing qualifier, so it could be translated that the Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. He must be killed, and he must three days, in three days, rise again. This wasn't optional. It wasn't a multiple-choice question. This must happen, and he is telling them He is coming near the end of his ministry and he is telling them this must happen. So, we learn again so clearly, so crucial to the heart of Scripture. Messiah had come to satisfy the wrath of God and to save us from our sins. Before he could be the conquering hero, the conquering king, he first had to be the suffering savior. 
And that is so important for all of us to have clear in our minds. Before he could be the conquering king, he first had to be the suffering savior. And Jesus, and this really helps us to understand how they're understanding this, how they're getting this. Jesus' description of his mission is so disturbing that Peter rebukes him. At the end of verse 32 and in verse 33, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. So interesting. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The word that is used for rebuke that Peter uses here is used in other places in the scripture for the rebuking of demons. So this wasn't a, I don't think you should do this, Jesus. He was rebuking him. You, you can't suffer. You can't die. We're not going to let that happen. And Jesus immediately turns the tables and rebukes, same word, rebukes Peter. And I want you to notice something, and maybe you've heard this in a sermon before, but if you hadn't, it's interesting. Verse 33 says, but turning and seeing his disciples, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebukes, he rebuked Peter. So don't think that Peter was alone in this. He rebukes them all. Peter was just the spokesperson on behalf of the disciples, but he is rebuking all of them, and he uses a fascinating phrase. He says, get behind me, Satan. And he says, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This, folks, is an amazing illustration in Scripture of intense frontline spiritual warfare. I want you to notice Satan is right there. Peter is rebuking Jesus. We're not going to let this happen to you. You're not going to go through this. And does he say, get behind me, Peter? No, he says, get behind me, Satan. Satan is right there influencing the disciples. So interesting. In this crucial moment in history, This crucial moment, really, without being melodramatic, this crucial moment in the history of the universe, he tells them the mission of the Messiah. Peter tries to rebuke him, and he turns and rebukes his disciples. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And this reminds us of Satan's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Remember, Satan takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and says, all this can be yours. All this can be yours, Jesus. Just bow down and worship me. And what was he saying? What was Satan saying to Jesus? You can have the glory without the cross. You can have the kingdoms without the cross, which was the lie of Satan himself. And that's in essence what's happening here. Jesus, you don't need to suffer. You don't need to die. You can have the crown without the cross. You can have the glory without the suffering. And so Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Well, that brings us to our second point and really the heart of this message as it pertains to this series, the cost of discipleship. Jesus uses this occasion to declare to the crowd and his disciples what it means to be a true follower of his.
So it's this occasion. That's why I give you this background information tonight. Because I want you to say, see that it's with this background in this setting that Jesus makes the statements he does about what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I want to know that. What does it mean? Which goes along with what this whole series is about. What does it mean to be a true follower of Jesus? If this is the mission of the Messiah, then here is what it means to be his disciple. Okay, try to put those two things together with me tonight. If this is the mission of the Messiah, then here is what it means to be his disciple. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul or the familiar King James rendering and lose his own soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? If anyone... If anyone would come after me, if you want to follow me, imagine Jesus is speaking to you face to face. He is confronting you and he says, if you want to come after me, if you want to be my disciple, he says, let him deny himself. The first thing that a true disciple must do is not trust in his flesh He must not trust in his own self-will, his own self-power. The first thing it takes is a total denial of self. And we know, and you have heard this many times, of all the religions in the world, and there are many of them. If we did a class tonight on world religions, there are lots of religions. Of all the religions in the world, Only biblical Christianity, only biblical Christianity says that you can do nothing to save yourself. Nothing. Every other religion has a list of qualifications, a list of things that you must do in order to save yourself. You must, they may say you need to believe in something, but you also have this list of things to do. So the first thing is, Do not trust in yourself. Secondly, and take up his cross. Secondly, you must take up your cross. Of course, the immediate word picture here is a Roman crucifixion where the criminal, the person, would have to carry their cross and then be crucified on it. It is a total abandonment of self. And I believe that the total implication in light of the context of the whole New Testament is this. You crucify yourself and trust in the crucified one. That's what it means to take up your cross. You crucify yourself and trust in the crucified one and follow me. Follow me. It is a deliberate, conscious decision to follow Jesus. To be his. To belong to him. 
No holding back. Then he says in verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. If you try to save your own life. You will lose it. Forever. Eternally. Condemned. For whoever would save his life. If you think you can save your own life. If you think you can live for self-preservation. You will lose your life. But whoever loses his life, whoever says, in essence, goodbye to this earthly life as far as my trust and my glory and my preservation, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. If you abandon your life and put all your trust in his life, then you will save your life. And then he asks, and I've used this in funeral services a number of times. Jesus asks two of the most piercing questions ever asked in the history of the universe. Again, I'm not trying to be melodramatic nor sensational tonight. I think you would be hard-pressed to find two more piercing questions in all of history. For what does it profit a man? To gain the whole world and forfeit his soul or lose his soul. So what good is it if a man or a woman gains it all? If you have all the money you could possibly have, all the fame, all the power that you could possibly have, but you die and are condemned eternally in hell, what have you gained? What have you gained? For that short period of time, You accumulated earthly wealth and prestige, but lost your own soul. What will it profit a man to gain the whole world? The whole world, but forfeit his soul. And then he asked this, what can a man give? What can a woman give in exchange for their soul? What would you give in exchange for your soul? Literature is filled with stories. Filled with stories of people who sold their soul to the devil. Because they wanted fame. Or they wanted wealth. Or they wanted some kind of power. And so we hear... That for this short period of time, they made a deal with the devil and gave up their soul. You don't have to go to historic literature. It's happening every day. People are selling their souls to the devil every day. They don't think they need God. They don't think they need the church. They don't think they need the gospel because there's something more important. There's something they'd rather live. And Jesus says, what can a man give? What can a man give in return for his own soul? Well, as Jesus defines the cost of genuine discipleship, he also issues a stern warning to his enemies and to those who doubt him. In verse 38, he says, 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Jesus is saying this, if you are ashamed of the Son of Man now, watch out. Watch out. If you are ashamed of Christ, ashamed of God, embarrassed by religion, embarrassed by God, someday know this, he is returning in glory and judgment. But I want to go back again to verses 34 Or, yeah, verse 34. I want to go back again to verse 34 as we really think about how this is the heart and soul of the Christian life. I believe we have in verse 34 the path of salvation and the path of daily sanctification. I believe we have in verse 34 the path to salvation and the path to daily sanctification. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. I believe that you could take this and share the gospel with someone just using verse 34. I do. I don't want to take it out of any context here, but I think there is something very important. I think you could say to someone, if you want salvation, if you want to be saved, you cannot trust in yourself. You cannot save yourself. There is nothing you can do to earn your own salvation. You must deny self. You must. Secondly, you must take up your cross. You must, as I said earlier, die to any possibility of your own of saving yourself and trust in the crucified one. You must come to the cross. Deny yourself Come to the cross where salvation is found. The substitutionary death of Jesus Christ in my place on the cross. And subsequently he rises again victorious over sin and death. Make a decision to follow Jesus. Make a decision to become his disciple. To surrender and turn your life over to him. I believe there is a very brief but wonderful gospel presentation. Deny yourself, come to the cross, choose Jesus. Deny yourself, come to the cross, choose Jesus. It is the path of salvation. But I believe also here in verse 34, we have the path to sanctification. Daily sanctification. You've heard me say this before, so forgive me for the repetition, but Luke, in his gospel, quotes this, but he is the only one of the gospel writers who adds this. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Luke is the only one who adds that little word, daily, and follow me. So, the path to victory in the Christian life is do not trust in yourself today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday. Deny yourself and come to the cross and follow Jesus. Trust Jesus. Whatever the issue you have 
or whatever the issue is that you are going through, whatever the suffering, whatever the problem, whatever it may be, come to the cross and trust fully in Christ every day. Every day. It was interesting this morning. I had someone come up to me and share about something they're going through. And they said to me this morning, I'm going to make it through because every day I come to the cross. Every day I come back to the cross. That's it. It's exactly what he's saying here. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. And follow me. Well, that brings us to the end of this entire series. And in the few minutes we have left tonight, I just want to kind of summarize where we've been. I want to review with you the six great summations of the Christian life. I just want to just kind of go down the list here and then we'll close of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. And sometimes when we get, when we feel overwhelmed by the Christian life, when we feel kind of suffocated by all the things we're trying to do, we need to come back. It's like that that song says, we need to come back to the heart of worship. We need to come back to the heart of the Christian faith. Oh, folks, my plea for myself. My plea for you, don't make it more complicated than God intended it to be. Don't make your Christian life more complicated than God designed it to be. We started off with Genesis chapter 5 verses 21 through 24 when we found there was a man named Enoch and he walked with God. And it says, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more, it says in the NIV, because God took him. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, it says, By faith, Enoch was taken before he died. Then he could not be found, because God took him. And before he died, he was commended as a man who pleased God. Wouldn't you love to die that way? When you die, they say, there's a man, there's a woman who pleased God. I talked about John Piper, just the title of his one book, A Hunger for God. Or R.C. Sproul's book, One Holy Passion, A Consuming Thirst to Know God. I love that. One holy passion, a consuming thirst to know God. Then we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Here is the end of the matter, and all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Walk with God. Revere him. Be in awe of him. Be thrilled with him. Let him be your passion. Let him be your desire. 
and keep his commandments, and you will have fulfilled the whole duty of man in the eyes of God. Then we looked at Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things, for in these things, I delight, declares the Lord. Let him who boasts, let him who boasts, boast about this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord. Then we looked in the New Testament at Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 and 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will take care of itself in your life. It's literally what it's saying. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else will take care of itself. Everything else will be given unto you, will be added unto you. Then we looked at Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, where a Pharisee came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then we saw an incredible statement that Jesus makes. On these two commandments, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. If you keep these two commandments, you will have kept all the law and all the prophets. Mark gives us the fullest statement of the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And you sh the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two commands, those two commandments, you will fulfill, hard to believe, but you will fulfill all the law and the prophets. Because the heart of the prophets and the heart of the law is to love God with every part of your being. Nothing, nothing held back. And if I were just to take everything, including our message tonight, and bring it all together, these six great summations, I would say this. The Christian life is this. You say to Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in. Nothing held back. I'm yours. My life is yours. My mind is yours. My lips are yours. My motives are yours. My desires are yours. I am all yours. And I can never go back again. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would keep us from making the Christian life 
some complicated, burdensome thing that you never intended for us. Oh, Lord, help us to know the simplicity, the joy, the thrill of what it means uh, to belong to Jesus and to live for him. Both now and every day. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.